Hear that podcast ground brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to sixty percent off. I mean, with Game Time, you can buy your tickets in just two easy taps. You know what I wish I could do in two easy taps? Write my post-game story so I'm not there in the stadium until like 10 o'clock. But I can't. I've got to stay and work. But with this, two taps, game over. Forget about it. The Game Time app also, it's simple, quick, easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Edition to hear that podcast, Growlin, Paul Dander Jr. and Jay Morrison of the Athletic are here with you. Jay, how we doing? Doing good. It's uh, it's been fun writing about something different for a change, at least for a couple days. Don't worry, we'll get back to the regularly scheduled negativity and skies falling before you know it. But for a couple of days, let's try to to have a little different tone. And, and around the team, you know, they, it's been a long time coming. We, 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 I think every, I think everybody sort of needed just, even if it's a temporary change of pace to help us get through these brutal last four games, not brutal in that our job is tough, but just it, the season has been long <laughs> and it's and time, it's time for it to end long and monotonous. And I, you know, I thought, Hey, they won a game. There, there could be a bunch of guys sitting around in the locker room Monday wanting to talk to us about the win, and I, it got it emptied out faster than it did after all these losses. I mean, I don't know if they were. Out I, I to, think it's partially the setup, though. I mean, they do their last meeting of the day, and those like I don't know about you, but when I worked in an office and I walked out of the, my last meeting of the day, it was do not pass go, do not collect two hundred dollars. It was directly to the car, and I'm probably not talking to anybody. That makes sense. I, I get that. And, That's and, why I don't work in an office anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and it does, I mean, because they do have to walk past you to leave, so if you really want a guy, you can get him. But the, it seems like every week they, they cut him loose early, and before we get a chance to get into the locker room, half the team is gone. So it, 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 it hopefully that will change next year. They can change that setup a little bit and maybe, maybe have an availability in the middle of the day, and, and we can get these guys a little more often on Mondays. Yeah, uh, we, we shall see. But yeah, today, the, the afterglow effect, you know, conversations about how will this team deal with success? <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, it's comical a little bit, you know? I mean, because we are talking about 1 and 11, even though it's 1 and 0 in the last week. Uh, and I, and I, I get it. Like, Zach Taylor sort of was qu- quantifying that a little bit yesterday of, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of making sure people are finding the fault in, in despite the win and consistency and all that stuff and building. I, I, that's all fine, but it is kind of funny. How are they going to deal with success? I don't know. <laughs> Try to get their second win of the season. 
Yeah, that, that, I led the, my final thoughts column with that because I thought that was funny too. His quote about the biggest thing is now we need to learn how to handle winning. <laughs> yeah. Like, well. We shall see. Uh, well, you'll get to some of that in, uh, in Jay's Got set Stats, which are, yes. which are inherently sad. And, and even though talking about a win, still sad, uh, because you're going to talk about teams that were started 0 and 10 and bring up that group they're part of again. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about something I saw a lot of questions about. Uh, was the future of the offensive line. And I've seen people talking about, hey, are they going to keep Cordy Glenn now? And anyway, there's there's a few other things that have kind of gone on there that I think will be interesting to discuss. John Ross will be back this week. Hey, John Ross is back. People forget that he was uh, pretty damn good the first three-plus games that he played. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's also a big part of his story. But a massive decision coming up with John Ross, and I think it is one that they might be on the fence about. So we'll talk about that. Um, I I want to go behind the curtain in a little different way than we normally do. Um, kind of writing something as really like almost the anatomy of a play, and and the origins of it, and how it works. And that was the play that actually C.J. Uzama dropped, but it was a perfectly designed play that that broke him wide open in the end zone for what would have been a touchdown on Sunday. And it struck me when I saw it, how it looked like an exact replica to the play that Oakland ran to get a touchdown against the Bengals two weeks prior. And I thought, did they just steal that? What, where did that, or is that a direct just yank from them or where did it come from? And this, the background is so complicated and fascinating and hearing all the times they've used it this year and how it's the first time they've used it in that way. And the actual fact that it is connected to spider two Y banana has me super excited to talk more about it. So I, I, I talked to Brian Callahan about that play and he went all into that with me. And so I just figured just bring you that conversation because it's super interesting. Maybe it's a little too inside baseball for some people, but that's what we'll do. We of course have Jay's got stats, run pass or boot, uh, and uh, we'll talk about Arby's as we always do. So let's uh, let's get things going. I, I'll before I jump into it with my opinion. What do you think the future of the offensive line looks like in 2020 for this team next year, Jay? Uh, that's a great question. I, I, I'm really kind of wondering the same thing. I mean, we thought we were never going to see Cordy play another snap, and the fact that they they brought him back, you know, kind of out of need. John Jerry wasn't playing very well, and they they had to stick him in there. It almost feels like it, it, it's not a band aid. Like it, I'm, I'm sure there's probably still some hard feelings there, but. It, it seems like that fence has been mended, and he is still under contract next year. I, you, you have to wonder if he is back next year, and is is it one of those, is it one of those cases where the town's not big enough for the two of us? Is, is it is it Cordy or is it Jim Turner? Is it is it one of them has to go? Um, the the other big thing is is Billy Price back? I mean, four times now he's lost a starting job. And to three different so players. ridiculous. It is. <laughs> and, and it was, I don't know, it was really kind of interesting Monday because both Brian Callahan and Zach brought up the back injury, but Billy was not on the injury report at all last week. So that, no. they're, they're really getting it. feels into, like a cop out. 
yes, either a cop out or they're setting themselves up for, you know, a, a possible fine for lying on the, the entry report if they're saying the back injury played into the, the decision not to play him and he wasn't on the injury report. That's dangerous territory. So you have to wonder about that. Billy's got two years left on his on his rookie deal. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't, even though he's keeps losing his starting jobs, I he's cheap. Even as a first round pick, he's cheap. He's, he may not be what people expected as a, as a first round pick, but he, we all know what offensive line play is now. He's still a decent backup, if nothing else. So I, I don't know. I, that's the, those are the two big questions. Um, is, is Billy Price back next year? Is Cordy Glenn back next year? And I guess Cordy Glenn slash Jim Turner. Um, Zach has stood on the table for Jim Turner at, at every turn. Um, I, I can't really see them parting ways, but it, it does kind of feel like maybe one of those two would need to go, Jim Turner or Cordy Glenn. We know who that's going to be. <laughs> I, I mean, there's no way. I, if it if it was between those two, you have a guy who everything that's gone on with Cordy Glenn this year versus a guy that has been essentially Zach Taylor's right hand man his entire life. I mean, that's not even a decision if that if it comes down to that. The question is if they feel like they can find a way to make it all exist. The bottom line is though, Jonah Williams is going to be the starting left tackle next year, yeah. and so. You know, what is Cordy Glenn going to be if he does stick around? I think, I mean, are you going to try to do the left guard thing with him again? I mean, uh, would you, would you move him to right tackle and have Bobby Hart be your swing tackle? If there was any move I would do, that might, that would probably be it. But I don't think that there is enough trust left in this building for Cordy Glenn, especially when you consider it's essentially a team option for $9 million. You think this team, after what they just went through, is going to buy into $9 million of Cordy Glenn when they can get out of it scot-free? Now, I know everybody needs tackles, and I know that line play is bad, but they have a lot of holes that they need to fill, and they have Jonah Williams starting at left tackle. Take that $9 million, give it to a linebacker, give it to whatever you want to do, um, give it to a guard, whatever, uh, and and fix that position. But I, I, the idea of relying on Cordy Glenn again because he's come back and played a few games, um, that just really feels like it's time. That'd be a, that'd be just pushing it down the road and not understanding it's time for the divorce. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, you you have the it's it'd be different if you didn't have Jonah Williams. It'd be different if you didn't have an answer at left tackle, but you do. And you you need to just move on from everything Cordy Glenn was. It was a mess. You have an out. Take it. So to, so to me, if, if I was predicting who's going to be starting next year, I feel like I can pretty solidly say four of the five. Right? I mean, is le- left guard to me is the only thing left open. I, I asked... We've, we've talked a lot about how much the, the fans dislike Bobby Hart and think he's terrible, but we continue to get decent reviews of that. And actually, it's funny, he, he hasn't been probably as bad as people think when you look at it. In fact, against the Jets, Cordy Glenn and Bobby Hart both were perfect in pass protection on 40 dropbacks. Not a single pressure, not, not, not hitting the quarterback, not a sack, nothing. 
And Bobby's had a few. He 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 has been decent in that respect. Um, I'm not going to call him great. To me, what he should be is that swing tackle. To me, you would have whether it be you know a Cordy Glenn type or somebody, and Bobby Hart would be your backup swing tackle that you could plug in if someone got hurt. That's who he is, and, and I'm okay with him in that role. I would like to see somebody come in and take over and be better than him as a starting tackle. Um, but I I think they're going to start Bobby Hart again next year. I agree. I, I mean, they, they, it was funny that I mean Brian talking about Bobby Hart yesterday. That and because they we asked him how he's played, and I, I think he said relatively well two or three times, which isn't he hasn't exactly been our biggest problem. He hasn't yes. been our biggest problem, which is saying, you know, that also is just a point that they've been playing John Jerry at left tackle. So I mean, who wouldn't be their biggest problem compared yeah. to what's been going on on the left side? But I mean. It, it, Bobby has taken a step forward this year, both in terms of pass protection and he has really cut down on the penalties. Um, that was the big thing last year. I think a lot of people hammered him on more so even than the pass protection was all the penalties. And and uh, I, I I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but he's he's way down in that category. Um, I don't know, you know, the tackles are so sparse. I don't know if they can go out and, and find a starter in, in free agency or if they're willing to do that. And, and we know what direction they're going to go at the top of the draft. So are, are you really going to are, are you going to be able to get a third, fourth? Maybe they go tackle in the second round. Um, but are you going to be able to bring a rookie in and essentially have rookies starting at left and right? Uh, I do agree that they – they stock that position, but I, I think Bobby Hart's the, the day one starter next year, too. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's there's plenty of things that could happen between now and then. Uh, but, you know, you, you do start to get that feeling. And John Miller will be there, and Trey Hopkins will be there. T- to me, where I get nervous with it is if they just say, you know what, Michael Jordan's going to take that step. We think we – and I think that's a big part of why, he's, why he is playing now is they want to see – the same way that they have with Jermaine Pratt, the same way they did with Ryan Finley, they need to see how much of an answer Michael Jordan can be at left guard and how much he's picking it up, how much he's improved from his early stint where he got benched. And I don't know. You know I, I, they need, The idea of bringing this crew back, except for you know some depth help or something like that, is, is asinine to me. But, you know, you can see it happening, right? I mean, you could see it. You know what? Michael Jordan, he's he's coming along. Bobby Hart, he played better, you know? We're going to have Jonah, and that's going to be our big addition. Trey Hopkins was good, right? You can hear this, and it's just not what needs to happen. Uh, you know, you need to take these guys that have been okay and turn them into depth pieces um, and and worry about it at that point. But so we'll see what happens. There's plenty of decisions to be made. I don't think Cordy will be back, uh, and I do think that there is a maybe a market for Billy Price for a team in need of a center. Right, right. And the other issue is, I mean, Trey is going to be an unrestricted free agent. He he's going to have options. Um, maybe he, I mean, he he's been here for so long. Maybe he sees the writing that. That this he's not willing to wait out the rebuild, and maybe 
he elects to go somewhere else too. I don't, I don't think it's a rubber stamp that, that Trey Hopkins is back. I think the Bengals want him back, but again, he's an unrestricted free agent. He can do what he wants. He can. And, and will com- probably command some money when you consider he played pretty well. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, they need to keep, they, they have Billy Price as a insurance policy there if they aren't able to get a deal done with Trey. Um, but it, you know, if, if you do bring, and there's, there's value to having a quality backup in Billy Price at center, um, and somebody who could play some guard for you, although you would argue how well, if you consider how many times they've benched him for other guys that also aren't very good. So maybe there's more value in just cutting your losses and trading Billy Price. Obviously, the coaching staff hasn't been super thrilled. Um, I, I think I think they like him, uh, and they like him as a center. But it was just one of those things. That's his natural position. I think we maybe learned that that's his natural, clearly his natural position, and that's where any value he has lies. And how much are you willing to pay for a backup center? If if you could get something actually for him, uh. On the open market, I don't know. It's it's, it's a, a conversation to have. Anyway, that's kind of a view. I've got a lot of questions on the offensive line. They obviously need to fix it. Um, I'm sure that there will be more draft picks that will come in there. Um, but that will be one to watch. My dream plan that I've outlined many times would be the, the Bengals convince Bill Callahan to come coach with his son. He comes in as some form of offensive line coach. Uh, or whatever role, whatever title you want to give him. He brings Brandon Scherf in free agency to play left guard. And you trade for Trent Williams with, you trade whether it's AJ Green or whether it's Picks or whatever you do. You find some way to trade for Trent Williams. That's, that's really the dream aspect of this. Uh, and then you put Jonah Williams at right tackle and Trent Williams at left tackle. Brandon Scherf at left guard. Trey Hopkins at center and John Miller at right guard. Bobby Hart is your swing. You fixed it. You may, you may have mortgaged a lot to do so, but you fixed it and you have arguably the best offensive line coach in football who's happy to be here because he's coaching with his son. Yeah, not just his son, but I mean, he was Zach's college coach. I mean, I don't think that's far fetched at all to see Bill Callahan here next year. Now, I don't know about Scherf and, and Williams that, that, that there's a lot of work to be done to get them here, but it, it's, it's hard to imagine the the Redskins keeping. I mean, Callahan's the interim right now. I don't know that that he's going to be the long term answer there. And where else? What better fit for him to to go to than than to come to the the Bengals? I I, I thought it was interesting. You know, we we talked to Brian yesterday about uh, you know just how nice it was. Not that the that he got his first win here with the Bengals, but that that uh, Bill got a win with the Redskins, and I looked it up. I had this in my final thoughts column today. I don't know if you saw it yet or not, but when do you think the last time Bill Callahan and Brian Callahan won a football game on the same day was? Well, I mean, I know because I read final read, thoughts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so if fans are going through in their mind, it's it's really pretty remarkable. It was December 11th of 2016. That they both won. They've been coaching the entire time. Uh, that they both won on the same day, and it, they've won in the same week. But there were times when, like, one won on Sunday, and then one won on Monday night. But to actually, for both of those guys to win a game on the same day, it's been almost three years. That's that's just hard to fathom. Yeah, really, that really is crazy. 
um, and and unfortunately a sign of some of the tough projects that they've been a part of, whether you're talking about Washington or Oakland's rebuild uh, or Detroit. Uh, I mean, you are, they, they've been in on some, some tough roster situations. So Brian, Brian knows a little bit about uh, what these tough rebuilds look like. Um, the other, so the other side of this uh, that we've gotten a lot of questions about and that Zach mentioned yesterday is that Jonah Williams is not going to play this year. Um, I think we were all sort of under that impression, you know, how much, how much he is in practice is one thing, but you know, there, there is no reason to hit some sort of risky fast forward button on Jonah Williams for the sake of what a couple of snaps, like a couple of game reps this year. I mean, what is that worth to, to go out there with a guy who hasn't really tested his injury? to try to get a game or two in this year. Look, come back 100% full go starting left tackle in April. See you in the preseason for some game work. Give you, you know, three games of preseason next year to get yourself ready. Start at left tackle and go. I mean, because I, 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 I barely see the reward in putting him into practice if you did that. Um, considering what he's coming back from and how much you just want to make sure he's ready to go next year. Um, but it looks like we kind of have some clarity on that now. Yeah, because the, the typical the typical recovery time for a labor would have put him you know, right on the cusp of whether he could, whether he couldn't return, and, and why push it? Well, even if he's healing fast, why push it? And really, if, if they were to stick him in a game, it's not like they would stick him in as a starter. He'd be kind of like what they did with Seto Buehi, um back in 15 where they bring him in as a like a six offensive lineman like we've seen him do with with Michael Jordan and then they did it for a play with Fred Johnson on Sunday um, there's just the, the 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 risk reward is way out of balance there I agree with you just just let him heal let him get some practice time let him get some practice reps and kind of get used to playing football again but no no game action till preseason next year yeah um I, I want to go with our behind the curtain segment here. And if you remember, uh, the, a play from early in Sunday's win against the jets, uh, they're a third and short from near the goal line. Uh, they run a play CJ Uzama breaks wide open and actually Andy Dalton and CJ weren't able to connect the ball went off of his hands. It was one of those where you marked down those four points and said, man, you better hope those don't come back to bite you. Cause that was as easy a pitching catch as you'll ever see. The scheme broke him absolutely wide open. It occurred to me. It looked exactly like what he, we had seen in Oakland two weeks prior when the Raiders Derek Carr threw that one, uh, for a touchdown. And so I, I asked Brian Callahan about this yesterday and I just found the conversation that followed about the origin and anatomy of a play fascinating. Uh, so this is my conversation with him in a hallway outside of the locker room and some of it he gets far away because he's actually doing quarterback progressions, dropping back in the pocket away from my recorder. <laughs> so bear with it. Uh, but, um, you know, you, you can, you, you can get the point, I think, of, of sort of how it all works and, and where it comes from and where this is something that he's been sort of a part of almost his entire coaching career. Anyway, uh, 
here is Brian Callahan talking about the origin of, of that play and using Spider 2 Y Banana. Let's have a fullback you had TV going yeah. across. We've, we've kind of, uh, it's, it's a really good play. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's really off the, it's, it's, oddly enough, it's off the Spider 2 Y Banana. banana is it? It's a version of that. <laughs> so, um, it's really what happens if you run the normal Spider 2. The, the CJ in that point would have released him on a corner. He'd have run the banana route. Yeah. Uh, but so the second version of that play is it's, everything looks exactly the same. Instead of running a corner, then he blocks down. And as he comes down, he kind of just finds his way up the back side. Yeah. Um, it, it's a great play between play man to man. And, and you do a little motion to get people to, you know, I want to say that, I mean, my dad and John have been running that play since, I mean, yeah. I remember watching like Tim Brown run it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is, and you just you give a little kind of uh, you know back and forth motion to kind of get some buy yeah. some eyes and create some kind of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really trying to double TV in that particular instance mm-hmm. down there, which we would assume they would do. Um, and TB does just a little bit of motion, and he hits the flat, and, and really the, the read starts as, as it comes off the action. Uh, the read starts with TB. So yeah, TB yeah. flanks the defense and he's open, which is banging his way first down. But if that's covered, uh, but then that's covered, you look back the other way. And then he just stops and plants and looks back that How way. much of the key there is Eifert going out first and catching that linebacker? Because that's the same thing that happened to yeah. you guys was the first guy went through that way and the linebackers went with them and then the other guy slips underneath them. It seemed like that's – it just seems like that, that hesitation is what – draws the, the underneath. It is, and, and really the, the backside receiver ends up running, which is Eifert in this case, he runs a shallow cross, but he runs it high. He yeah. kind of sets the depth. It's, a, it's, it's a, in effect a um, it's in effect a pick, for, yeah. better, for lack of a better term, is kind of a pick play. Um, and the front side receiver comes down and he runs over the top. So you have Eifert running a shallow Tate in this case yeah. is now running over the top of that high to keep an angle high. Yeah. And then CD's blocking his way out underneath underneath the hyphen. And so yeah. uh, it's a really it's been a really effective short yardage play for a long it's time. It's one of those plays that like guys just do end up running wide open. Like yeah. you see it all the time. And it's yeah. so rare to see that happen down there. I'm just curious like that's not so you've had that in your Look yeah. forever, yes. you know. That's not like a stolen thing. It's just part of. No, it's, yeah, it's just part. It's just. It's just a good. It's. It's a yeah. good. And we and we dress it up to do like the origination of that play is probably a, like twenty one personnel, fullback and receiver. And it's, yeah, it's all those things. And um, like I said, it looks just like spotted two by banana. Yeah, for the, the play that everybody's so familiar with. And so, yeah, uh, we've dressed up a few different ways, just kind of with how we look as an offense. And so yeah, we ran out of twelve personnel. With TB doing the motion in the flat, we ran one against um, Sacks at San Francisco. San Francisco for sure, where we yeah. hit TB for a first down yeah. on the flat route. Uh, the second time, I must say we've run that play. In my, in my mind, I think we've ran it at least three times. That was probably the fourth. Yeah. And every time it's been a conversion, but we've hit the flat. I think every time. So I think that's the first time it's gone back that's the, the first other time way. It's gone back the other way. Huh. And, and so, um, as you can see, there's one or two times where, and we always tell them. You know, it's a third and third and one, two, maybe three play, where you're anticipating a heavy front, you're anticipating man coverage, where they're, they're kind of thinking run, and they, it's, it's a little bit more sell in that regard. I've run it in the field in normal plays before. We ran it against uh, in Oakland last year. We probably had had a huge play against Baltimore to Lee Smith for about a 40 yard gain on yeah. the backside. Uh, we ran against Pittsburgh on the goal line out of 13 personnel, so we had a bunch of tight ends in there. Yeah. We hit Lee Smith on the backside for a touchdown. Um, they did it to us. 
and you, you watch around the league, you see that play pop up probably once every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, where somebody's got some version of it. Yeah. The frustrating thing is that's when, when it does pop that wide open, you can just kind of just, like, like card it. You can just sort of just throw it up. And you, you're you trying, I'm sure with in Andy's case, you're just thinking, boom, hit the throw, and it's nice. Yeah. And it's just, you could have, if you would have had the full extra second to really look around and see, oh, there's literally no one near that guy. I just lost it up. And, and it was, he did anything a little harder. Uh, I, I don't know if he, he, didn't, he wasn't quite sure what was happening. Like, Because the hard part about that reach for a quarterback is you come out of the fake and you reverse out of the fake and your eyes are there to the flat. And as soon as, as soon as you feel all that taking the flat, then you reset it back. So yeah. he may not have known totally where everybody was and he's like, he's open, i got to give it to him. Yeah. I don't know that he knew he was that wide open. Yeah. Because your eyes. You don't know. You, maybe you miss a safety sitting back there. If you throw the lob, and then the safety just comes up and takes right. it 100 the other way. So yeah. <laughs> I think it was a. I think he just wanted to make sure that he's got the ball in his hands fast. And yeah. There's no way that somebody could ran him down or anything could have happened there. So, uh, yeah, that would have been. I told Caesar this morning, I just I was so sad when I was watching the last night in my house because it, like, <laughs> it was just so beautiful. I know. It's so nice to. I know. <laughs> it was so nice to see. All right, good to, uh, I hope people enjoyed that a little different. Maybe, uh, maybe a little too inside, but, uh, fun, fun conversation that I thought that would be a, a good one to share, uh, with fans. Okay. Another topic with the offensive coordinator yesterday was about John Ross and what he will bring. He's going to be back now for these last four games. We have talked endlessly, and the coaches have talked endlessly, about how they need more speed vertically to really challenge the defense. They've basically turned into just a a possession-receiving team. I, w- I went back and looked yesterday because someone was talking about how much the offensive line and the tackles having success probably had to do with how quickly Dalton's getting the ball out. And I was like, well, he's been getting out fast all year. He was 2.52 seconds. Uh, it's all via PFF, uh, which was sixth amongst all quarterbacks in the weekend, sixth fastest. And I went and looked where he was over the course of the season, 2.30 average over the course of the season, which is far and away faster than anybody else in the NFL this year and far faster than Dalton's career average. They have just, I mean, as you know, anybody that's watched this team, it has just turned into snap, grab the seams, throw it to try to get the ball out and avoid the issues with the line and not having much speed downfield anyway. And so what John Ross brings is that big play threat. I mean, he's his average yards per catch is insane. He was very effective early in the season. The fact that they're getting a little bit better line play makes you think that maybe they'd even be able to use him a little, a little more effectively. The question is this, his fifth year option decision is coming up in the off season. Would you do it, Jay? Um, I think I would, especially a lot depends. Well, I don't know if a lot depends, but you, you, you consider too, we, we've talked about how they're, they're going to be gutting this roster. They're going to be clearing up a lot of cap space. You, you always have to worry about the injury piece with him, but he, he brings such a unique dynamic and, and really when, when he's been in there, even last year when things were going bad, he was, really good in the red zone and then the three plus games he had this year he he made some huge plays he those plays in seattle he was a big piece it it, i don't know if if you can decline the option based on oh he might get hurt again i think i think what he brings 
and the fact that it's so different than anybody else they have on this team, I, I do think they, they pick it up. Now, what what the, they've got until May to decide, so they, they can even wait until after. I think it's May 5th. So even after the draft, they, they can wait and see what happens there. But I do think they'll pick it up. Um, do you know what's that number? Would it be $12 million? You're looking for in the 14 to $15 million range for John Ross. Fully guaranteed one-year contract is the question. I mean, that is that is a huge number. That is a – you're out here trying to sign A.J. Green – Theoretically, right? You've already paid. What did you pay Tyler Boyd? I mean, you know, you only paid, you paid Tyler Boyd 10, 11. How much money are you going to put into receivers? You know, that's just a big number, man. It's huge, especially for a guy that does have injury issues and a lot of it will, I, I would, and other issues. (laughs) Don't forget the drops. Yes, true. Um, and I would think the AJ situation would be resolved by the draft as well. So maybe you're right. If, if they bring back AJ and they've got that much money wrapped up in him and Tyler Boyd, maybe they do let John walk or just not pick up the option. I mean, he's still, still playing for you for next another year. year. Yeah, yeah, you're still playing for he's still with you next year, but it's a matter of 2021. And you know, you could still you can decline that option knowing that he will never be worth that. You could pay, you could say, "Hey, but you know, you might be able to make what Tyler Boyd makes." And so we can talk about that contract extension, but we're not going to talk about and it's a problem because you, you you know when you're in the top ten, a number is higher than the eleven through thirty two. That's part of this as well. Um, so, to me, I would decline it, keep him for in a prove it year, basically. And you know he's at some point he's got to prove he can stay healthy at all. And I just don't know that he can do that. And and I don't know that he's ever going to prove that he's going to be a consistent catcher of the ball. He's certainly not going to be a guy who's worth. 14 to 15 million dollars I don't think yeah especially if if they do re-sign AJ you're right he's he's not he's not going to be a number one guy he, he's going to be the, th- the third option behind Boyd and AJ and he I don't know if he can put up the, the numbers to to justify that kind of a contract so that that is the smarter play just wait see how next year goes and then you can always re-sign him and the following off season and free agency or let him walk just depending on how that, that his fourth year goes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, even I'd have a hard time looking Tyler boy. And I, you know, this is appreciating what John Ross is that this team lacks. I'd have a hard time looking Tyler Boyd in the eye. If I gave John Ross a, a $14 million <laughs> option extension, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that that's not what the hierarchy in that room is, and 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 maybe it's a little different if you do decide to to let AJ go or you know trade or whatever, if you trade him away or whatever it would be, um, maybe that's different. And you know if you just and there's a lot of dynamics to it. I I just don't think I can I could do it. I'll I'll bring him back next year and approve it year and decline the option. That's 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 probably me. But it's an interesting decision because. If he were to come back these last month and just tear it up, and you you 
put that together with his first three and a half games, and you have essentially a half a season where he racks up 20-plus yards per catch and a bunch of touchdowns and deep balls, maybe maybe you start to view that differently. Maybe you do. I don't know. That is an interesting conversation. I didn't think about that, though, the hierarchy in the room. Because the, the most Tyler – Tyler Boyd's going to max out at 10.3 in his final year of the deal that he just signed. And you're right. I mean, how – he never had that option because he was a second-round pick. But but how do you justify that to a guy that that, that has totally outperformed John Ross and, and Ross is going to be making 50% more than him? That John would be making for a year about what A.J. has made off his last contract. Right. No. <laughs> no, no, that can't be a thing. And I get like at a certain point you just you got to let the money go and and but no, no, I can't. I can't do it. All right, let's take a quick break in the show here to talk to you about Roman. And I want to talk to you about erectile dysfunction. Talking about it isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off, blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. We all together with excuses like, look, the Bengals have me sad. Sorry, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, totally discreet. With Roman, you get free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor works with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication's appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. whole process is straightforward and simple. And get started, just go to GetRoman.com slash Growlin and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Growlin to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Growlin for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Growlin. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit into I, – I, 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 I had a question – we talked a little bit about how good Carlos Dunlap played. Um, he had the three sacks, but he had 11 pressures on Sunday. And he's had 18 pressures the last three weeks. As we've talked about the resurgence of this Bengals defense, Carlos has been so much a big part of it. I think Carl Lawson, uh, you know, not allowing – when Carlos brings pressure off one side, you the quarterback is not moving away from it. He's kind of stuck because you're getting, you're actually getting some consistent pressure from all directions, whether it's Carl, whether it's been Sam Hubbard. This third and long or the passing down crew of Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard, Geno Atkins, and Carlos Dunlap has proven to be very effective. And really, that's the first time we got to see it totally unleashed because it's the first time they've really played with a lead was on Sunday. And what it's meant for Carlos Dunlap has been huge. Because he had 13 total pressures through his first seven games. And he has 18 in the last three weeks. Including 11 on Sunday. It's kind of a what has gotten into Carlos Dunlap. I mean, did we see some reason that he's finally seen some motivation? Is it a matter of everybody being healthy? Because if that's the Carlos Dunlap you're getting... You're not going to let him go anywhere. You're not going to trade him. But 
that's just not the guy that we've seen consistently all year. It makes I think it makes that a very difficult decision coming this offseason. Yeah, and, and how much of it is decline in play and how much of it is the 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 game circumstance. They they haven't had leads, especially sizable leads where their biggest lead all year was seven until Sunday. And now you get teams in, in that must must pass situation and he can tee off. Um I'm kind of rooting for four and a half more sacks because yeah, Gino, Gino time. We could put Gino behind the curtain on the, one of these podcasts <laughs> because he said he would talk if Carlos got to ten, and he, he said that when Carlos was sitting at two and a half through eleven games, you think there's no way, and then all of a sudden two and a half sacks through eleven games, and then three, uh, a big huge jump there. Um, I I don't know. I, I don't know how much of it is circumstance and how much of it is he had a little bit of he was dealing with a little bit of an injury earlier in the year he he, he missed a game um snapped his streak of starts uh but he, he's been healthy lately it has made a huge difference um i think sam hubbard's playing really well too and i and i think that's helping uh carl on or carlos on the on the opposite end uh it's i i had pretty much written him off i i, I not that he couldn't do it, but I'd, I'd written off the possibility that he would be here next year. And, and you're right, the way he's played the last couple of weeks, you, you start wondering if, if maybe he is a guy that's back and that, that they're not going to trade him. And maybe he realized that too. And maybe that's what this motivation is. I don't know. I mean, this is – it's speculative. Uh, but, you know, when, when it kind of became apparent, whether it be at the trade deadline or whatever, that there was – that there is some dissatisfaction just with his numbers, with his production. I mean, it's not even a matter of how anybody feels. It's a guy with a sack and a half who's getting paid that kind of money, and he's 30. Like, it just makes no sense. So you better come out there and play, and you better produce, or you're you're incredibly expendable. Uh, And maybe that's part of this. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a combination of all the things. But I think that these last few games – uh, might open some eyes, but it is a matter of do you know that you can get this consistently over a 16-game season? That's always kind of been part of Carlos's story. I mean, there's the, you know, all the way back to the beginning days where Marvin tried to motivate him by not making him a starter early in his career and sort of, you know, they were always holding that not getting 10 sacks thing over his head. And there was, there was always a lot of, motivational pieces that you felt like were being played with him to try to keep him into it. And that was part of the knock of him coming out of Florida was that, you know, you didn't know how consistent of effort you were going to get. And that's why he was a second round pick because his athletic profile is top 10. It's ridiculous. Um, but, and maybe that's this, maybe it's that this team realized how to motivate him. I, I know I'm, I'm only saying sentences that end in question marks, but I just think all of that goes into what is another really fascinating decision for this team. If you just choose to bring Carlos back, if you go aggressively after a pass rusher, uh, and that kind of forces him out the door because you can have some value for whatever it is. Um, I, I find his situation, whether they stand pat with him or decide to try to make a move, kind of fascinating as well and also could be dictated by how he plays over the last month. And he has typically played well against Cleveland, and uh, two of the final four games are against the Browns, including this week, obviously. Yeah, who don't exactly have the strongest offensive line, so a chance no. to take advantage again. Um, 
All right, let's go. Let's go into Jay's got stats. Jay has consistently sad stats. Let's see how sad they are today. What do you got today? <laughs> We're going to talk hangovers. There's nothing sadder than a hangover. Um, and I bet you there's a lot of uh, Bengals fans that have had one these last couple of days <laughs> uh, after uh, you know celebrating their breakthrough. So we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago once they got to the 0-10 mark, and looking at teams that started 0-10. So I went back and, and revisited that to see when when teams got that first win and, and got the monkey off their back, what, was there a hangover? How did they play the week after? And uh, generally the answer is not well. Um, of the there's been 13 teams because some of these teams that started 0 and 10 finished 0 and 16 so they never they never ended up uh, getting that win to, to measure this so of uh, the the 13 teams in this uh, stat that I have they were three and ten the following week um, nine of those teams went on the road after getting the long-awaited first win like the Bengals are this week going on the road and those teams are 0 and 9. So there, there is something to it. <laughs> now, for the for the betting public out there, the betting listeners out there, uh teams have they've covered the spread those those 13 teams they 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 were 5, 6 and 2 against the spread. So they're they're, they're it's not like they're just totally getting crushed. But uh, the, the Bengals are nine-point dogs this week against the, the Browns. That really kind of surprised me. I, oh, I yeah. Knew Cle- I knew Cleveland would be favorite. I didn't think it would be that big. Uh, when was the last time a team with five wins in December was a, a nine-point favorite against anybody, let alone a division opponent? Typically these games are closer. Um, the, the point spread data only goes back to 1980. I can't find a site that goes back beyond 80 I looked for a bunch of them but you know since 1980 this is just the fourth time that the Bengals have been dogs of, of nine or more against the Browns and uh, one of them was last year the, the the Browns in week 16 were 10 point favorites against the Bengals and the Bengals covered they lost 26 18 um, but all, all, all three previous times they were 10 point underdogs twice and a 10 and a half point underdog uh, games in 2018, 1994, 1992, and they did lose all three of those and uh, lost them pretty handily th- those first two years. Last year was the anomaly where they, they kept it close and only lost 26-18. So all signs point to them not putting together a two-game win streak. Well, the nine number is really interesting to me when you consider the recency, and that is the Bengals have – their last three games have all been one possession. They have just won a game. They they did just get you know they do have a quarter their quarterback back now. I mean, you've got so you have those things sort of playing into it, and then the Browns being the mess that they are, you know, getting beat by the Steelers. Now that they've won some games, and they see you know have a little bit going for them, obviously, but they're still a mess. They're just basically you know been pushed out of the playoff picture essentially. Um, it's just a, it's a it's a big that's a big number that's a big number when you consider the how competitive the Bengals have been the last three weeks and having just beat a Jets team uh, that you know came in hot and that you have some similarity 
to the Browns as far as talent level and things like that. But yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I, I that seemed I don't like to question Vegas. Uh, I feel like you can end up in a dungeon somewhere <laughs> and uh, get, get your pinky like chopped off. If I even mention that, I don't think that that's a, a good line. But from from my perspective, I think it might be a bit high. Maybe six, six and a half, seven. Yeah, that would that would make more sense. And, and I, I thought too that that it's something that Bengal fans that could make them happy would be that actually that if the the Bengals were to win, they would have a chance to eliminate the Browns from playoff possibility. But I, for that to happen, the the Browns have to lose and the Titans have to win. And uh, I went and looked. The Titans are at the Raiders. That game doesn't start till four o'clock. So even if even if the Bengals beat the Browns on Sunday, they don't officially eliminate them. But really, right now, the Browns are hanging by a thread. Anyhow, Look, they have to win out. Bengals fans, we know we know what you're thinking. No. Just we got your win. <laughs> Stop winning now. Uh, get the number one pick. I will say, uh, interesting. Uh, are, are, I've seen a few things out of New York with the Giants, as they're now the only other team uh, with two wins. Is they are really focused on helping fix that defense. I, I really think it would be hard, especially the way Dave Gettleman has been pretty stubborn in his line of thought over there. Whether we talk about drafting a running back second overall with Saquon Barkley or just saying Daniel Jones is my guy, I'm taking him at six, whatever. If they want Chase Young at one, I, I don't see, I find it hard to see a scenario where they trade out and don't take Chase Young at one. Just when you look at Dave Gettleman's recent history. And so for Bengals fans, that could be good news to basically say you kind of still have that two-game buffer. So you can win one more. So if you could win one more, which one would it be if you're a Bengal fan, I guess? New England, right? Knock off the Pats. But realistically. (laughs) They can win one more if the Giants win one more. But if they finish yeah. tied with the Giants, then the Giants are going to have that number one pick. And uh, if, if people are wondering, that, that actually, it would be interesting to see what the uh, the Nielsen ratings are Monday night because that is a horrible game. But Cincinnati might be one of the biggest markets to, to watch that Monday night game because it's Giants at Eagles. Uh, so a lot on the line for Bengal fans in that game, rooting for the Giants to pull an upset against an Eagles team that's in first place but really not a first-place team. That, that no. NFC East is terrible. Uh, I mean, the Eagles just lost to the Dolphins. Uh, yeah, dude, imagine the Philadelphia meltdown if they lost to the Dolphins and the Giants in back-to-back weeks. I'm almost rooting for that. Uh, let's play run, pass, or boot so we can uh, get out of here. You had a good Bengals one uh, for this week, Jay. What do you got? Yeah, I kicked around a couple different ones. Um, you, you like the one about what could happen? Oh, Birds? yeah, the, the Ross TD. Yeah. yeah, I like all those. So what what is most likely to happen first Sunday in Cleveland? John Ross scores a TD. Sam Hubbard sacks Baker Mayfield. And I threw that one in there because after the the Nick Bosa flag planting celebration after he sacked Baker, I talked to Sam about it. And Sam said he loved it and that him and Bosa had actually – uh, talked about doing it, and and they both said they were going to do it if they sacked Baker, and it just so happened that Bosa got to him first, but Sam was going to do that celebration if, if Bosa didn't get a sack in that game. So we got John Ross TD, Sam Hubbard, sacks Baker Mayfield, or the Bengals go for it on fourth down. They are one of the 
leaders, league leaders in that category. They've gone for it 19 times on fourth down this year. So which do you have to think happens first Sunday? Uh, I think first is that they go for it just because we've seen that so much. Uh, and I just, I just, it feels like something that's going to happen early and often. Uh, I'll say Ross. Um, I, I could see him making an instant impact like that. I mean, he, he, he did early in the season. He scored touchdowns early in the season. Maybe he comes back and they get, they're going to be real excited to, I'm sure, pull a few pages out of their playbook that have been stuck up on the shelf for the last eight weeks. So I could see a Ross, uh, touchdown and then I'll boot, I'll boot Sam, uh, just because no, he'd have to get back there and then he'd have to beat other guys back there in order to get him. Uh, so, I'll, I'll put, I'll boot Sam. Well, that's a good one though. I think that's, I think that's three evenly matched ones where you could make good arguments going anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you the same way. Uh, fourth down, it's just happened, I mean, 19 times that it's happened more than it, any of those other things. Sam only has a couple sacks. John has a couple touchdowns. So just the law of averages says that that's going to happen, that they're going to go for it on a fourth down. And, um, I, I think I might go with, I might, do the pass on Sam Hubbard sack and Baker. It just feels like this defense has really got things turned around. Three, at least three sacks in three straight games. Um, I think that one's a little more likely. We we don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna have John Ross on on a any kind of limit in terms of snaps. And um, I, I just think that might be a little bit too much to ask for him to get a, a touchdown in his first game back. So I'll. I'll agree with you on the going for it on the fourth down as the run, and then I'll pass on Sam and, and boot John. Okay. I've got a good one for you this week, run Pastor boot. Everybody knows my you. love of you and and your Hamiltonisms and, yeah. and, and everything going on out there. So a few things that I know about you that I think need to be known by everyone, and I would want to say what do you think – I'll say it this way. I was going to say what's more Hamilton, but I'll say it this way. What is your favorite thing to do that I know that you do? One, follow Butler County Scanner on Twitter for all the ridiculousness that you see on there, including the guy who was apparently like dropping his pants at a gas station intoxicated uh, <laughs> a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Oh, okay, Hamilton. Uh, or... Checking out the latest DUI checkpoint to make sure that you can post it on Facebook so all your friends know where to avoid. Or scanning the arrest mug shots. Yes. On, on, <laughs> to see if any of your friends ended up there. What is your favorite thing to do, Jay? It is absolutely the jail mugs. Um, <laughs> I, I can't, every day, I can't, I can't help it. And, and for the longest time, every the, day. The the journal news who I used to work for they their their jail mug thing was all over the place like you'd go and it would be from from back in February and they finally got it straightened out where it is it is updated every day and I just I love scanning through them not just to see if there's anybody I know or you know maybe a kid I covered when he was in high just names that you recognize but there's it just the the range of 
facial expressions and the, you you got the the guy mean mugging the camera like I'm gonna kick these cops ass and then you've got just the the look of shame like someone that's never been arrested before and then you've got the person that's clearly hammered with the glassy eyes and then you got you got the ones that are just smiling like yeah this is fun I I mean it's just I I, I can't not do it it they 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 only do there's it's a photo gallery and it's limited to the 50 most recent and every day sometimes twice a day because there's a lot of arrests in Hamilton <laughs> it's not just Hamilton it's all of Butler County but every day I go and I just scan through those and look at the pictures and it's 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 my favorite pastime it always cracks me up so, when we'll be like we'll be in the media room and it's like okay we go to file into the locker room and I walk past your desk and I just see the mug shots up and I'm like you just <laughs> And they're scrolling through mug shots, <laughs> waiting for the locker room to open. Now the uh, the OVI check OVI checkpoint, I'll, I'll pass on that. I I don't actively seek them out. They they post them, and and so when they pop up, I feel like it's my duty to share them. And it's not that I condone drunk driving. I don't by any means, but I just I vehemently disagree with the process of OVI checkpoints. I I, I think. They are a money grab. They're they're looking for undocumented aliens. They are looking for people not wearing seatbelts. They're just looking for anything they can to pop people on, and it it just it feels like an unreasonable search and seizure. I know it's not illegal because the, the the Supreme Court says they are illegal as long as they publicize them, but I just. I don't agree with them, and I, I don't like getting caught in them. Sometimes you're just driving along, and you have to wait in this long line just to go through a OVI checkpoint because there are a lot of them in, in Fairfield and Hamilton, um, and I've, I've been caught in them several times, and I just I just disagree with them wholeheartedly, and so that's that's why I, I look for them and post them. And then the uh, the third one, I'll boot the Butler County scanner. I, I, I do follow it, but it's – I mean – Every now and then something interesting pops up, like the the guy that was uh, dropping his pants out in front of a Circle K. But <laughs> it, more most of it is people on there saying, "Hey, I saw two cops uh, over at this street. What's going on?" It's like it it could be anything. It, it, it's it is fun when the it, it could it's fun when the the interesting ones pop up, but they don't pop up very often. So that's my that's my those are my answers. I love I recommend anybody that. It lives in Butler County to check out journalnews.com and, and scroll through the jail mugs. It's it's quite entertaining. <laughs> so I have uh, a run passer boot for you. Oh, uh, okay. I know, you know, you're, you're Saturday, you're going to uh, pinch hit for Justin Williams. Justin's going to be down in Memphis covering the ACT championship game with UC and Memphis. So you're going to jump on the, the Crosstown shootout, um, which is a great day in Cincinnati. But – I get asked this a lot, so I, I thought I would ask it of you. What what is your favorite sport to cover? Just for the game itself, not take out the the aspect of being a beat reporter and the grind and all that. Just a, a single game coverage. What is your favorite sport to cover? Football, baseball, or basketball? Um, if you're talking about a single game, football because of the bigness of single games. Um, now. I mean that there's there's an intensity and a, and a importance to a to a, to every football every football game in the NFL and 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 you know I, I I like the pace of it. There's a reason why I'm on. I you know I enjoy covering the Bengals. 
basketball would be second. Uh, I, I like the fast pace. I like that it's over quickly, and we know how long it's going to take. And baseball would be last. There's so many of them. They're often meaningless. There's a chance it could last like five hours and you're just stuck. You, and so for that fact, but I, I will say this as an addendum to that, I would cover a playoff baseball game over a playoff football and playoff basketball game. That includes college, whether you're talking to the tournament or whatever. Playoff baseball to me is the most intense, um, fun atmosphere to be a part of, um, which I think might surprise people because, you know, NFL playoffs and Super Bowl and, uh, you know, NCAA tournament, all those are great, but I, I think playoff baseball is, is truly special. So that's why I'd say the, the idea of on the June 3rd being stuck at Great American Ballpark until 1 a.m. waiting for Rysel Iglesias to get an out is like, just the bottom of my list. So that that for that reason I put that at the bottom, but yeah, that's 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 my order. Hopefully I didn't offend any soccer or hockey fans, but I just figured that we would get with the big 3 there. I've not covered a lot of I've well I don't think I've covered any soccer. Um and I've not covered hockey really. My my favorite one of my favorites to cover was Arena Football 2. I covered the AF2 which was the developmental league for the arena football. And those games were super fun. This was back down in South Georgia. Um, I mean, it was these, the guys were getting paid like a couple hundred bucks a game. And, but there were some pretty good athletes that had played college ball and the games were, it was intense. It was like, uh, it was like Rams chiefs last year, but every single time out and you know, the, the, the kickoffs into the net were, were, I just, I enjoyed it. I thought, I thought arena football is, is totally underrated as one of, one of, uh, the best sports to actually go watch if you ever get an opportunity to, unless it's like the rockers or something, I guess, which is uh, Cincinnati. You need to be a little bit more name brand. That's just, I, didn't, a, didn't an arena league just fold? Yeah, I saw somewhere where one of the arena leagues just folded. I think, yeah, I think the main one, I believe. Ooh, yeah. Um, but they've they've gone through all kinds of trouble. The AF two actually bought out the AFL because the AFL was overpaying players, and they said the only way they'd be successful is to basically pay the players nothing, or else you never the owners would never make enough money. So they bought them out with the model, but I don't think even that model was working. There's too much travel. Everything else. It's it's kind of a mess. I mean, you need more money involved, and they don't have any really big time TV contracts, which kills them as well. But you know, I could talk about the Arena Football League for days, <laughs> but we probably should just go ahead and end it. Uh, so anyway, thanks everybody for listening all the way to the end. A reminder: bonus podcast. Jay, loser of this week's growler bet, um, will be talking to Zach Jackson about view from the Browns, which is always interesting. Um, and we'll have Joe Goodberry with some film analysis and much more as we get ready for this week in Cleveland. And of course the walkout is back on Sunday. Uh, if you haven't su- subscribed or if you're looking for a gift, uh, highly recommend with this week, we have a gift subscription deal, uh, where you get, there's a t-shirt involved. Uh, there's a discount offer. Um, we've tweeted it out. So you just go to Twitter or just go to the athletic, uh, and you can find those deals, a cyber week deal, um, where you can give, if you want to give the, give the gift of the athletic to somebody, you know, who loves sports, you can do it and get a great deal with it. So highly recommend going on and subscribing. If you've been thinking about that. Uh, otherwise that's all I got.
So we will uh, we'll talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Crowd and have a good one, everybody.